Have you ever gotten lost before? I don't mean just lost. I mean completely lost. To be honest, these days it's really hard to get really lost because we have a GPS or we can just use our phones to call someone if we're lost. But I was born in 1990, so I'm just old enough to remember the days when the threat of getting lost was very real because we were only navigating through places with physical maps. And for some younger people who might not know, maps is not just an application on your phone. It's a physical thing. And so our family used to have several huge physical folded up maps in our trunk. And then you had to wrangle it out and you had to spend most of the time trying to figure out where you were on this gigantic map before you could even begin plotting where you were going. And it was always a disaster trying to fold that thing up properly. And so if you got lost, it was really scary because you relied solely on this piece of paper or a gas station attendant to find your way. Have you ever been lost like this before? I had been momentarily lost like this before, but it was much scarier because I found myself lost in the wilderness. Before my freshman year at Wheaton College, it's a small Christian school out in Illinois, I decided to go to a week-long pre-orientation program out in the woods called Honey Rock. And as a part of the program, one of the days, they sent us off into the woods and we were supposed to journal, pray, and just be with God in the wilderness and in nature. And I remember one of the leaders saying, hey, you can nap if you need to, but try to be intentional in the way that you spend time with God. And so they dropped us off in this area of the woods. And we're all supposed to kind of be in proximity of each other, but I really wanted my own space. So I went a little further than I probably should have. And as I went to journal and to spend time with God and the beauty of this wilderness, I just immediately fell asleep. Like not a nap, a, a full REM sleep. And then I wake up and it's darker outside. I have no idea what time it is because we didn't have any phones. Because I felt, and because I fell asleep literally on the floor, when I woke up, there were bugs crawling all over me and I was completely terrified. At first, uh, I was terrified because I had no idea where anyone was. I couldn't see anyone. And second, I'm, I'm really not an outdoors person. Some of you might be listening to this and saying like, well, this sounds like fun. But for me, up until that point, I had never even camped before in my life. And I think part of it is like an immigrant family thing because I think my parents were probably like moving our family to a country where we don't know the language is wilderness enough. So I had no idea if there were bears, coyotes, snakes out there. I felt like anything could happen to me. And so I just began wandering around in these woods, trying to find someone. And after a few incredibly tense minutes, which felt like hours, I found someone I knew by a tree, reading their Bible and journaling like I should have been doing. And I breathed a huge sigh of relief, and I sat down in viewing distance of this person to take another nap. <laughs> have you ever found yourself wandering in the wilderness before, trying to find your way out of a situation like that? Maybe you've never physically wandered around in the wilderness before, but you may have found yourself wandering in the wilderness of life, wandering in the wilderness of college applications, wandering in the wilderness of having your first child. Wandering in the wilderness is terrifying because there's so much that we might not know. The past few weeks, we've been looking at Moses and the Exodus story, and we've been tracking their journey to see what a with God life looks like. And today we're going to find Moses and the Israelites literally wandering in the wilderness, in a desert for 40 years. 
And we learned today that a with God life doesn't just look like victory and escaping the oppressive Egyptians. A life with God often looks like wandering in the wilderness of life. And although that might not be the place we want to be, what we're going to see is that when we wander in the wilderness, God equips us with a promise and with a purpose. But before we dive into how God prepares us in the wilderness, let's take a look at how the Israelites ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years to begin with. This is Numbers chapter 13, verses 26 through 33. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites lived in Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come before from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. So if you've missed the Exodus story so far until this point, here's a quick recap of what's going on here. So in the Exodus story, Moses was appointed to bring his people, God's people, out of slavery from the Egyptians. God promised to rescue them and to bring them to a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, much like we read today. So Moses goes to Pharaoh, the leader of the Egyptians, and he tells them to let the Israelites go. And after some negotiation and some plagues, they allow the Israelites to leave and escape their rule. But along the way to the promised land, the Israelites started complaining because they were getting hungry and thirsty, and they felt like God wasn't providing enough for them. And then in the midst of their complaining, we learned last week that God gives them a revelation in the form of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And so now we find ourselves in the deserts of Paran, which is halfway to the promised land. And God tells Moses to send out 12 spies to check out the land and to see the promised land that God had given, that God was going to give them, that land flowing with milk and honey. But when the 12 spies came back, 10 of them immediately complained to Moses because they see something that they were not expecting. Verses 27 and 28 says, We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. You see, 10 of them are upset at Moses and upset at God because they said, Sure, the land is flowing with milk and honey. But the Canaanites look so incredibly strong. How could we possibly defeat them? They have these huge fortified cities. And so, we bef- and so before we get into the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, we find that the Israelites are actively wandering away from God. In Numbers 14, after others hear the report from 10 of the spies, people start to say, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. 
And I know for a lot of us who've heard this story before, it becomes really easy to judge the Israelites and say, how could they complain to God after all he's done for them? But when I read this story, I sympathize, I really sympathize with them because I know I probably would have said the same thing if I was there. I would have been equally afraid and equally complained to God about why he led us into such powerful enemies. And the issue here isn't so much that they complained to Moses and God, but why they complained. And the reason why they complained was because they completely misunderstood what God had promised them. God didn't say that the Canaanites were going to be weak. He didn't say that the Canaanites would have unfortified cities. What he did promise was that he was going to give them the land of the Canaanites, no matter how strong they were. The Israelites got upset because they actually placed onto God what they wanted him to do. They confused what they wanted with what God had promised. And they were only hearing what they wanted to hear from God. It's kind of like this. My uh, two and a half year old actually does this all the time. So we live pretty close to the stone zoo and she loves going there, which is great. But obviously you can't just go there all the time because it costs a lot of money. So one day uh, we had plans to go to the library for a little bit. And the Korean word for library is And so Korean, we say to our daughter, Shai, hey, let's go to the Tozokwan today. And she goes, yay, let's go to the Tongmuran today. And Dongmuran is not the library. Dongmuran is Korean for the zoo. And we're like, no, Shiloh, we said we're going to the Tozoguan, the library. And she's like, no, we're going to the Dongmuran. She was confusing what she wanted with what we had promised her. And she was only hearing what she wanted to hear, the zoo. And then she immediately started having a meltdown. And this would happen over and over again, so much so that we actually ended up buying a zoo membership just to avoid the issue completely. But this is what the Israelites were doing again and again. Multiple times throughout their journey, they complain about not having enough food to eat. They complain about not having enough water. And they complain about how life was so much better on, under the oppressive Egyptians. And all this time, the reason they were upset with God was not because God didn't fulfill his promise. He did. But they were frustrated with him because they had only heard what they wanted to hear from God. God promised a trip to the Tozogan, but the Israelites kept wanting a trip to the Tongmuran. And what happens is this, when we confuse what we want with what God has promised, we begin to wander away from him. Sometimes we get upset with God or we wander away from him because we put onto God things that we think he should do. For so many students, we get upset at God when we don't get into our top choice of college or university. And we go, God, why didn't you let me get into Harvard? And God's like, what? That's not what I promised. Or God, why didn't I get the job that I thought I was going to get? And God's like, what? That, that's not what I promised. God, why did you let this happen to my family? And God says, well, I didn't promise that life would be free of difficulties and issues. And so like the Israelites, it becomes so easy to wander away from God in those moments. But what is it then that God actually promises the Israelites? Well, in the latter half of the book of Exodus, God tells Moses to construct a tabernacle, which was essentially a portable place of worship. 
And in the end, um, in the end of Exodus, when it was fully and finally constructed, scripture says this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord. The tabernacle was a physical representation of the fact that God dwelt among his people. That is actually literally what the word tabernacle means. It means to dwell among us. And so God's glory fills the tabernacle and he dwells amongst his people amidst their wandering. And so here, God equips the Israelites with a promise. And this promise is that despite their constant wandering away from him, that he has, that if they prepare a place for him, he will fill it with his presence. That although they continue to wander away from God and complain to him, that he will continue to be present with his people, that he will not depart them, that he will continue to show them mercy and grace. And so in the wilderness of our lives, God also wants to equip us with that promise that although we may wander away from him time and time again, that if we prepare a place for him in our hearts, he will meet us there and that he will show us mercy and grace, that he will never depart from us in our wandering. John chapter one affirms this when it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Again, that word dwelling. Jesus tabernacled. He literally dwelt among us. This verse affirms what God had promised to the Israelites, that despite their wandering, Jesus comes into the world to be with us. And not just to be with us, but to take on the weight of our sin. And that's why these words in this hymn are so powerful. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. This is why Jesus is so beautiful and worthy of following. Because even when we were strangers, even when we were prone to wander and prone to leave the God that we proclaim to love, he dwells among us. So as the Israelites wander away from God, the Israelites are literally sent off to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And you might be thinking, why would God do that? Why would he send his people off into the wilderness? Well, God was just giving them what they wanted. They said they didn't want to enter into the promised land because of the strength of the Canaanites. And so God says, sure. But their time in the wandering in the wilderness wasn't to just walk around aimlessly. Wandering in the wilderness was essential for their journey with God. Because it was here that God did work on them that they may have otherwise resisted. It's in the wandering of the wilderness that God equips them with purpose. But the wilderness sure does not feel that way most of the time. Wandering in the wilderness is absolutely terrifying. As we can see in Numbers chapter 14, 29, it says this. In this wilderness, um, your bodies will fall, every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted in the census, who has grumbled against me. God says that in this wilderness, the Israelites are going to encounter really difficult moments. And as I say, think back to the moment I was momentarily wandering in that wilderness trip. There were two reasons I was so afraid. The first reason was because of the uncertainty uncertainty of when or if I'll find my way, or the uncertainty of whether or not someone cared enough to look for me. The second reason was because 
there is real danger in the wilderness. Now, I'm not pretending like this area was, that I was at was super dangerous or anything like that. It probably wasn't. But the wilderness still poses a threat and a danger that doesn't exist in most other places. And honestly, we all experience wilderness moments like this in our lives. I love the way this one author puts it. If you've ever spent any time in a radiology oncology unit, there's, that's a wilderness. So is a neighborhood where parents have to teach kids what to do when they hear gunfire. A dying church, a wilderness. Addiction, wilderness. Losing too many friends all at once is a wilderness, especially when they're young. Aging is a wilderness. Deep love for the suffering planet is a wilderness. Basically, anything that shows you how breakable you are, how breakable everything is, is a wilderness. Do you find yourself wandering in the wilderness today? Do you know someone who's wandering in the wilderness at this moment? Feeling afraid of the uncertainties and the dangers that life brings. The wilderness is a scary place to be. When you feel like you're just lost, without a sense of purpose. I found myself wandering in the wilderness just a week ago on my birthday. And birthdays are supposed to be joyous and exciting and I usually love my birthdays. But for some reason on this birthday, all throughout the day, I kept thinking about how I hadn't done what I set out to do by the time I was this old in life. And I got really sad on my birthday thinking about whether or not I would ever accomplish anything meaningful in my life. But surprisingly, it is when we wander in the wilderness, when we are in these moments, that God begins to equip us with purpose. The word wilderness in scripture is actually really interesting because the word for wilderness also means desert. And it it comes from, and the word actually is midbar. But the word midbar actually comes from the word lehadbir, which means to pasture one's flock. This means that the wilderness isn't just a place of barren nothingness, like we assume. And although the wilderness is a place where it can feel like you're wandering around in a place of uncertainty and danger, God actually uses the wilderness to feed his sheep. He uses the wilderness to help his sheep grow. When we go back to the story of Exodus, we see that from the very beginning of when God brought them, uh, brought the Israelites away from the Egyptians, scripture says he was leading them through the wilderness for a purpose. Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 through 18 says this, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine, Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. God specifically leads them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea because he knew they weren't adequately prepared for the challenge ahead. So he uses the wilderness intentionally to prepare them. There is a purpose behind it. For the Israelites, he was preparing them for the purpose of being able to defeat the Canaanites. There was also a person in scripture who spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted and tested 
before he began his public ministry. Matthew chapter 4 says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And yes, that time was difficult and filled with temptation, but it was in this time of the wilderness that prepared Jesus for his public ministry. It was during this time that he was being prepared for his purpose. It was during this time he was being, he was being prepared to take on the weight of our own sinfulness. So although wandering in the wilderness can be really difficult, it is in the wilderness that God prepares us with a purpose. Some of us are in seasons of wandering away from God, and some of us are in seasons of wandering in the wilderness, or some of us are in both. But what is undeniable in the story of Exodus is that God is never hiding. He is fully present and dwelling amongst each and every one of our wandering moments. And so here, I think, God teaches us two things that he wants us to do as a result of what we talked about today. The first is, I think God wants us to replace what we want from God with the actual promises of God. You can do that by first identifying if there's any frustrations or unresolved anger that you may have because you didn't feel like things were going in the way that it should have. Have you ever confused the promise of God with what you wanted out of God? Because when we do that, we can recognize the source of many of the different frustrations that actually might just be dwelling from or coming from an internal expectation of God. And so instead of the bitterness that we might feel, maybe those moments can be transformed into worship because we realize that God has promised us his presence. The second thing is we need to look for God in the wilderness. But the way you look for God in the wilderness is by first identifying what you look to when you walk into wilderness moments in your life. Because although our first instinct might be to find a way out of the wilderness, maybe God is asking us to look for him in the wilderness. I was talking with my dad recently about um, how immigrants really have learned to embrace the wilderness and to look to God in the, uh, in the wilderness. I, I noticed that because Korean worship songs are vastly different than American worship songs. A lot of American contemporary worship is great, but it focuses a lot on the God's goodness and beauty. But most of Korean worship songs are really dark. It's about God, I will worship you despite suffering, despite pain, no matter how lost or scared I am, I'm going to worship you in whatever situation I find myself in. And it's such a stark difference. And my dad told me it might be because uh, at least for Korean immigrants, they never really have time to look towards the future. When they immigrated into the country, they were saddled with so many issues that were so directly in front of them, they didn't have time to expect anything else. And so that's why Korean American churches pray every single day with such purpose and intention, intention, because they know they need to come to God for their daily bread and sustenance. And so when we pray and seek after God with that kind of intention, we begin to see the kind of purpose that God equips us with. 
There was a, a season in my life not too long ago where I felt like I was both wandering away from God and also wandering in the wilderness. I had been pastoring in a Korean church for five years, but all of a sudden I started to feel a sense of inadequacy in my profession as a pastor. I felt like nothing I was doing was working out in the way I wanted it to. And as I felt inadequacy as a pastor, I started to get really mad with God. I started confusing what I wanted with God with what he had promised. I was like, hey God, I got into this job because you wanted me to do it. Why are you making it so difficult? And because I had spent so much life, uh, so much of my life building my identity as a pastor, I started to feel really worthless and useless as just a person. Like I had nothing to offer anyone or anybody because I wasn't good at the thing that I was trained to do. And so I actually ended up leaving the ministry a few years ago because of it. And in the midst of that, my, my family encouraged me not to just jump into anything new, but instead to spend some time looking for God in the wilderness. That's not how they phrased it, but that's what they were saying. They suggested I go to this program called Discipleship Training School through an organization called YWAM. And I was like, no, I don't think I'm ready to do something like that right now. And then they told me um, that it was located in Kona, Hawaii. And so I was like, all right, give me a second while I pack my bags real quick. <laughs> but during my first week there, I, I was so discouraged because none of what, what, I, what I was learning there was really applicable to the wilderness I found myself in. I thought God would listen right away. So I literally prayed to God the first week I got there and said, God, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. I mean, Hawaii is nice, so I'll stay here, but I'm not going to be happy about it. And literally the next day, a pastor came to speak to our group and he begins to share this really vulnerable story about how he felt inadequacy as a pastor. He said he used to preach all the time at these big conferences. Uh, and at one conference he was at, he was about to, he was, he was scheduled to preach right after another person had just gone. And he was listening to what this pastor had preached and he started to get really jealous. Because he said this pastor preached an incredible sermon. People were crying, laughing. So many people were being moved and touched. And he was sitting there thinking, oh no, I have nothing to offer. I am such a terrible pastor. Like what I have is nothing compared to what he's given. How is he so much better than I am? And those questions were literally exactly what I was thinking through at that moment. And he goes, at that moment, uh, God spoke to me. And he said, God told him, you can either be a pastor or you can be a son. If you decide to be a pastor, you'll be good sometimes. And at other times, you won't be so good. But if you decide to be a son, you'll be great all the time because you are a fantastic son. And as I was wandering away from God, and as I was wandering in the wilderness, it felt like I was alone. But that moment, I realized that God was equipping me. That he was equipping me with a promise and a purpose. That Jesus sought me when a stranger, even when I was wandering from the fold of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in the moments of our wandering away from you, in the moments of wandering in the wilderness, that this is actually a part of what it looks like to be in communion with you. 
that you don't depart from us in these moments, that you don't leave us, but that you are doing something in our hearts and in our lives. And so we ask that whatever wilderness moment we find ourselves in, that God, you would break into what feels like silence, what feels like a loneliness, and would you speak to us and would we see the ways in which you are shaping us and preparing us. In God's name we pray. Amen.